Can I be honest without being authentic? Yes. Can yes. I be authentic without being honest? No. Wait. I don't know about the other way. But I know you can be honest without being authentic because I've dealt with this. Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you. An exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes. With Rodrigo Garcia Platas, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. Come on, pop in Megan Batum. Hello, Megan Batum. Hi, guys. It's so cool to have you. I'm good. Wait, I want to see this. Why are we watching ourselves? It's better this way. No, I want to see them. <laughs> Did you spotlight yourself, Brian? Yes. Oh, okay. my God. Brian, do you, do you Well, listen, the audience doesn't understand. I have sunglasses Brian, on. They look really good. Is Megan revealing the fact that every time we're recording the podcast, you're always looking at yourself? <laughs> don't you always see that I'm always kind of in a daze staring cross-eyed into my screen and I don't even hear you guys when you ask questions? Yes, of course. I thought that was just your charm. <laughs> no. <laughs> what does that mean? Tell us what the meaning of that is. What, looking at myself? Oh my God. Pure narcissism. <laughs> uh, not so complex, or maybe it is. We'll delve deeper today. Guys, how's everyone doing? Great. We're We're alive. Which is great. <laughs> I was just sharing with Rodrigo that I went to this event last night that was like adjacent to what we do, but like specifically in the realm of 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 like like dating and singles and and uh, an old, old friend of mine put it on. She she's got this organization called Weed Deepen, um, and, and it was started years ago as a way of saying like singles events kind of suck. What if we just did events where like singles came, but the purpose was just to have fun collectively. Like when we had everyone that comes on, that's like a dating coach or something like that says, go out and do things that you enjoy and meet other people at things that you enjoy. And that's a way to match up. So that was kind of where this started. And last night she's prepping for this thing. that's going to be a Dave Asprey's event. So, so, you know, I, I went to support her and um, just watching kind of this whole thing unfold was so fascinating to me because it was such a softer, gentler approach than what I would do. But also, I, I am of the mind of let me yell at you until you get the thing that I think is right. We know. Yeah. <laughs> We've been through it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the right way to do it. So, but like it's the, you know, anyway. But it was it the was. The secret about you is there, there is a, a lot of Dale Thorhammer in you. There is. Why do you think I created him? Oh, God. But I need to create my Dale Thorhammer show, uh, Red Flags That Look Like Green Flags. I really want to see that show. And I have um, a question for you, Ross. Did, yes. you create, did you create Dale Thorhammer to kind of expunge this part of you a outside thousand of you? percent. A thousand wow. percent. There I think is, a lot of comedians, when they create these character pieces or have these shows where they kind of play someone, they're like, this isn't me. It actually is. Like, that's kind of the secret behind it. There's, I don't think I've ever said it. Oh, I may have said it. It isn't me. But it's one of those things where it's like Dale has full permission to do the things I would never do as Ross. Like an alter ego. Yeah, exactly. It's like I could tell people whatever I want. And it's just like, it's satire. Do you and have that too, Megan, with the way you present? Uh, publicly, like you are presenting a version of yourself you can't be or you hide in real life? I think I'm learning how to tap into that. But yeah, it feels like it's all, it almost feels like I bifurcated myself into like an external version and she then how the I word actually of the day, feel. Bifurcate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how much money do I get? I'm trying to think of what movie has the word bifurcate term. where I learned it. Is it a Jim Carrey film? Does he say bifurcate at some point? I don't know. 
Okay, I'll figure it out. Is that the same for you as a performer? Like, how do you feel when you're not on stage? Do you buy oh, these sunglasses on? <laughs> I bifurcate. I bifurcate. <laughs> Remember, we talked about this at Brian's birthday one time because Rodrigo's no, birthday yes. gift to people is let me drop a bomb on you in front of all your friends and family. <laughs> and like that was something that we came across with Brian is that Brian uses that stage as a space to. Um, yeah. It's like to get my choleric out essentially, which I don't, I'm not, but it's like, I get to be so, I don't have any fear being saying really aggressive things in my standup. And, um, if people don't like what I say, don't, I don't care on that stage. It's, it's really fun for me. It's fun for me to be kind of loud and forceful with my words. That's not me at a coffee shop. So it's like, I, there's definitely something there that, can I also say that birthday when you dropped the bomb on me in front of everyone at Ala Aqua, Rodrigo, Megan was there. Can I reveal this? Cause sure. before the birthday, <laughs> You're going I'm going, to I'm going, I guess I'm going yeah. to sitting, sitting to my left to be precise. Right, right. Yes. And I was like, um, I was like, we have a birthday dinner. And you're like, cool. Then you call me and you're like, listen, if we do that thing where we go around the table and everyone has to say something nice about the birthday person. I'm not going to, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and I was like, why? Cause I thought you were like, I thought it was like, I don't want you to be like egomaniacal. Cause I was like, I wasn't planning on doing that. And you were like, no, I just don't want to speak in front of people. Yeah. Like, and I was like, this is like eight people. Then you know them. And you were like, I don't care. You know what? That's trauma. And I'm yes, learning. Yeah. yeah. I'm learning. I'm working with EMDR therapy. Are you familiar with that? I don't know that acronym at all. Um, I movement desensitization and reprocessing. And essentially you take your, your craziest, not craziest, but like the very traumatic events or adverse life events, and your brain is searching for the themes that keep on coming up. So it's almost like, um, it's almost like if you're working on betrayal or perfectionism or public speaking or something like that, then your brain goes into the limbic system, which Rowan knows mine is very underdeveloped. <laughs> and it basically is like the brain is fi- going through filing cabinets being like, when is every time that you ever felt betrayed? When is every time that you've ever felt unworthy? And it's just producing all of these memories and mm. going all the way back to childhood, obviously, which is where everything spawns from. But that, the public speaking thing is a trauma that I'm working on in EMDR therapy. Wow. wow. That explains why Megan's audience is so Gen Z. Why? What do you mean? Well, oh. so we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but, but basically Holy you can... Holy shit, exp- Ross. You I just know. made a genius connection. Yeah. Wait, you were talking about me? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, now we are. But no. no. So, so when we talk <laughs> about the Megan, different generations. Always. You're the godmother of this podcast. We are always talking about you. Yeah. Oh, I love being a godmother. <laughs> we broke down why each generation shows up in the way that they do um, based off of the development of the different parts of the brain. So like, what is it? Boomers have a really strong reptilian brain, so they kind of feel safe. Boomers have a really good reptilian and limbic. They have no neocortex. That's why they were the perfect employees. Mm. And then millennials, we skipped over Gen X, but m- millennials have uh, like shittier reptilian, good limbic. Sorry, Megan, you're, you're an outlier here, but um, like a strong limbic, but an incredibly well-developed neocortex, which, you yes. know, you, you're with us there. Yeah. Um, and Gen Z has... Uh, For the reptilian? first time in history. Yeah. Like their limbic system is the one that shot. 
So, so you have traumatic compatibility with Gen Z, which explains like your content, like right. really resonating with them where they all feel seen and, and it, it's relatability through trauma of like, uh, like raise your hand if you have anxiety and then everyone raises their hand and then right. if you don't raise that is, your hand. That just feel what the internet's kind of like right now. I, it's I, like I, a yeah. big support, like a big celebration of our, of how we're, yeah. Yeah, no one's doing well is like kind of the, the big thing, which is like that not, if the internet was around the nineties, that would not be what the internet no. was, would be it's like all, at all. It's like, it's okay to not be okay is like the branding, but like, there's almost like a thing of like, well, if I'm okay, is it okay? You know, because I don't really feel like I fit in if I'm okay. So I better mm. be not okay. Let me find the way in which I'm not okay. So I can mm. fit in and be okay. That's, that's interesting. I want to be you know, different that, and broken yeah. like everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> it's, this is interesting. I've, I've noticed that even like COVID on as well. If you ask someone like how they're doing in life, the answer you're supposed to give is like, oh, fuck, yeah. you know, man, fucking <laughs> life. And you're supposed to go, yeah, I agree. You're not supposed to go like, great. What's up with you? Like, yeah. that's just not the thing you're supposed to say. And it's not acceptable anymore. Right. People and get mad like if you just tell them I'm doing fine. Right. Yeah, they're like, no, no, no. You need to talk to my therapist who will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, I mean, like, we, we've talked about this a little bit in regards to, like, Kanye. And we talk about, like, so, so one of our really close friends is this huge manager who keeps telling Rodrigo that he needs to work with influencers. And the hardest thing with influencers, and Megan, you, could, you can absolutely weigh in on this as an influencer. My ears are like, um, yeah. hello? <laughs> well, so... When you have an identity and a career that is enmeshed in your identity, and this is something that I've like watched you be breaking free from, and like you're like, I want to retire, I want to retire, I want to retire. But the 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 dopamine receptors in your brain receives so much and has been trained to receive so much from this identity that you've built around what we call the traumatic compatibility. So like if my brand is social anxiety, I'm not saying that this is your brand by any means, <laughs> but if my brand is social anxiety and I and get it, healthy, it is, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and I get healthy, I actually lose everything that's been feeding my dopamine for the past 10 years. And I betray everything that I built for the past 10 years. And it's not just like I'm going to betray the people who love me, but it's also like, I'm kind of maybe giving up my only semblance of certainty and security financially. Mm. Like, like influencers are like, I have an audience I need to deliver to them. And if I don't give this to them, either like they leave or something like there, there's that fear of losing what I've built and invested my entire life in building. So we were talking this about Kanye West. Because a lot of people are like, oh, Kanye needs to get therapy. And if Kanye really healed himself, he would lose his traumatic compatibility with his audience. Ooh. And then his audience would leave. It's not like he would inspire them to get better. And it's the same thing. How with, do you know with, that? Because, because we, look at what's happening with Donald Trump. Donald Trump, if he were to change his tune, people would turn on him. And we've seen it in micro uh, moments when he gives his speeches and he changes his tune back to the things that he's been saying that he relates to. And they'll say things along like, you guys still like me, right? You guys still like me, right? So when you have someone that's built their identity around a victim story or, you, or someone that's built their identity around traumatic compatibility, people love them because they see within them the things that they already believe within themselves. They have egoic harmony with their audience or with their influencers. And then if that person were to change, that audience would actually probably get really mad because there's no growth without betrayal, as Rodrigo says, right? So the audience would feel incredibly betrayed. Not to say that every single one of them would leave. Some of them would, would come, come with. Yeah. 
But I feel like the only area where we need to be careful when we're like unfolding this is what Ross is describing is absolutely true. This is how we decide what team we root for, what artists we follow, what content creators we follow. Of course, it has to do with our content, but it has a lot to do with traumatic compatibility, with do they see life the way I see it? Did they suffer in a similar way that I have suffered? Uh, are they giving me an answer in a path that I've been on myself? And many times it's not something that people are aware of. Like if you ask people, why do you love this content creator? They'll they'll make up something. They'll, they'll, they'll make up something on the spot about their, their content and what they say and their catchphrases or anything like that. Because the truth is that most people don't know why they like what they like. It's like when you ask someone why you love your wife. It's like, oh, because exactly. she's so kind and beautiful and caring. And it's like, no, because, you know, her brother drowned and uh, you, you <laughs> see that and you need to fix it or whatever. You know, you just don't know that. And that's what it is. That but was it, rough. It's because but yes, her brother drowned. <laughs> no, this that's is, why that's, you fall in yeah. love with someone. <laughs> this is Brian's new thing, which I think is hysterical, which is like the do, do the bit. Do the bit, yeah, I mean, Brian. It's, I, it, whatever. I have a stand up bit about the kind of the whole thing where it's you you. It's freeing to learn that you're falling in love with someone's trauma because then it's just things that you know you can't control. It's not that you're not tall enough or not funny enough. It's just that you, her brother drowned and you're not the person to fix that for her. Um, anyway, let's move away from that. Um, I was going to say- starting to make psychomagic shows? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I'm learning that everything is psychomagic. Fucking it everything is. in it art is psychomagic. Everything in story, good story. Look at any good like Spielberg movie. It kind of ends with a psychomagic act. Any any good piece of like art that is any way kind of like a storytelling about transformation, there's going to be something psychomagic. But here's what I had to say about what we were just talking about. Do you about. know what psychomagic is, Megan, or are you just patiently waiting? No, I'm patient. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're patient? I'm patient. I'm, I'm um, a new woman. I'm trying to be things that I'm not. I, I think I may have talked to you about it, but we'll go into it later. But I want to okay. say this before I lose it, which is um, – yeah, well, I think as an artist, this is the classic thing is you don't want to, you build this kind of identity and you have an audience this way and maybe it comes from your trauma and you connect people a certain way and you don't want to lose it. And so it's really hard to shift. But throughout history, the people that do shift, like Bob Dylan is a famous example. Like he, you know, they, he changes his style entirely and everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then all of a sudden people start understanding it and you gain a new type of follower and all of a sudden mm -hmm. it, it actually expands the people that, you know, it's really scary to make that leap, but once you do it, it almost always, even if you take a dip for a second, you mm. come back stronger. The big, most famous one is George Carlin, who, if you watch the documentary on HBO, he changed himself entirely two or three times, like fully. Mm. And he didn't really become the George Carlin we know until he kept doing that. He had to break apart everything that he was mm -hmm. and everyone, what everyone thought he was and liked about him. And I'm sure it was super scary, but what he came out on the other side was something so much bigger than he ever could have been with the first way he was kind of doing comedy and expressing his art form. So I think it's probably also why like musicians or people get really famous at a young age kind of stay that age. Cause mm. it's like, you just want to like hold on to that place that you were in because everyone is like it's loving so you for it and you're in that term. Yeah, exactly. So why would you move on? It's so scary to be like, well, if I, you know, I got famous at 21 being a superstar and I'm 40 and it's like, if I let go of this thing that I was, I'm going to lose all those people that love me for who I am. Yeah. But the truth is you'll probably find something better and greater if you do it. It's just really hard to do it. And that's why many of them start, start hating their fans. I want to challenge their yeah. fans feel like an anchor mm. holding you back into Ooh. becoming this ideology yeah. that you're not 
you're not there oh, anymore. Oh, that makes so, you're trying to move away from who you exactly. are, but your fans want you to exactly. think, and you keep yeah. feeding them what you're, so yes. it's like, you hate yourself your for giving it to them. In many, in many cases, it's your livelihood. Hold so on, I really right. want Megan to wait, because like, Megan, like you, more than any of us Famously here, hate your fans, right? <laughs> Say it publicly. <laughs> Say it publicly. <laughs> Say it loud and proud. <laughs> we all know that that's yeah. not true. I, I like we can sit here and theorize all day, but I'd love to hear if you're if you're open, willing to share. Like what? Like hearing this, what's your reflection? Like which parts of this resonate? Which parts of this you're like, no, this doesn't feel true to me. Well, I think all of it has a level of truth to it for sure. There's a, a video that a few people and I have talked about because we all saw it individually. It's a YouTube channel called After School. Have you ever seen this before? Sounds familiar. They do like whiteboard drawings and they explain a lot of different concepts. And they were deep diving into this YouTuber, I forget his name, Nick Nickicado, I think. I've was heard a, of Nick Nickicado. He's like, a, he's kind of a, a g -g -g what's it called? Dr not dramatic, but controversial <laughs> right now. What's that? It's like he's it's controversial. Like this, this, Is he controversial? I, I don't know him at all, but I watched the video and he became. <laughs> Uh, he came onto YouTube being a vegan violinist and then he started doing food challenges and then people loved it so much that they were just like making him eat like full menus full of, of like a whole restaurant full of menus and he, vegan violinist artist. And now he only eats like a shit ton of food. And it, the, the drawing of it was like, they made him into like this, uh, cage, like a cage of a performer. The performer, the perform, the performer becomes the audience. I don't know. It's very confusing for me. This is because someone wrote he's gained like three hundred pounds and he's slowly dying. Right. Yeah. And it's like that sounds almost like a raw doll version of a cautionary tale about right. social media. Like that sounds almost fairy tale like. Like that's James and crazy. the giant me. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's it's, become something that's just not what he started as, and I think that's what's so scary about being on social media, or being an influencer, getting any sort of recognition for who you are, especially at a developmental age. Like I started making videos when I was 20 years old. And so yeah. like I'm 31 now and I'm grown and I've been healing. And for a long time, I, I felt like I needed to be this caricature of who I, who I started to be because that's what I was getting adoration and affirmation from. And mm. what I'm learning now is like the more that I go into a direction that doesn't feel authentic of how I'm growing, it feels like I'm betraying myself. So mm -hmm. like the growth is not, I could be growing, you know, numerically or algorithmically, but I'm not growing emotionally, intelligently, spiritually. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I, that's why I like stopped. What do I, I stopped my podcast. I stopped really making videos. I quit all my businesses and I moved to the desert to do some like really deep inner healing work. And basically what Brian was saying, I'm going to become the next George Carlin. <laughs> yeah, I <know>. <laughs> <laughs> You're acerbic wit on stage. I think there's an important distinction to make in the in the two like examples that we're giving for everyone because on one side yes like what we just talked about in this this uh, vegan violinist it's it's an amazing cautionary tale and a lot of people a lot of people start creating anything like they become content creators like uh, at the very beginning and if there's anything that picks up even if they didn't design it like if there's anything that people can relate to and mm -hmm. they have this psychological need and um, it's actually called psycho-emotional need. Like if they have the psycho-emotional need to be 
acknowledged and seen and heard and understood and they've never had it covered like their family was never there or not in a way that they could accept it because of their biotype or their trauma whatever it is and suddenly they get it in social media it is so easy especially for gen for gen z with no limbic system um to to just drop into it and and feel like i've never belonged to anything the way i feel like i belong to this i've never felt seen the way I feel like this. So that's one tier. And I feel like that's really, that's really hard. But I feel like for someone like you, Megan, it's even harder because when you actually resonate, it's not that your audience found something that they liked in you. Like you're in a different tier. It's like when you create a content and people get it, but it's coming out of you and you're producing it. And, and again, people get it. The problem is that in that, at that level, what I think is that the problem is that you stop evolving as a human being because there's an expectation of the image and the content that you're supposed to give people. And that's what I meant when I say you can start hating not your fans, but you start hating your career. You start hating your profession. You start hating your life. You, right. you feel like you're stuck and it's easy to collapse that and think that it's about the fans. But it's true that when you evolve, um, you will betray your fans and you will betray everything that you've created before that. That's just how it works. Is this part of the reason why Megan uh, moved, ran away to the desert? Ran it, away? A little bit, fast as you can. I, uh, I, <laughs> well, the, the idea being that you had this, you had this, you had this like lifestyle that you felt was kind of withholding you a bit yes. and you needed to break out and you needed to do something absolutely fucking wild. Like, did Megan need... Did you need to have something kind of huge? Was that, a, in a way, a psychomagic act to run away to the desert? Because, like, if you were just in your house trying to change your life in a traumatic way, yeah. would you have done it? Like, did you have to, like, kick down the door in a big way and get the fuck out of Dodge? I say yes, and also I want to rebrand myself to High Desert Houdini because that <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> HDH over here. I feel like, I don't know, as a highly sensitive person, I feel like my environments are really, have a big impact on me. But I feel, I was talking to another one of my friends who's working on a feature and I was saying like, I'm blowing my life up. And he was like, sometimes you have to do that. Uh, like when you're making a feature, all the stuff is in your head, all the plot points, all the characters. And sometimes you just need to like blow it up and put it on the wall. Oh, so then that's you what can, you mean by blow it up? Magnify? Yeah. Extrapolate, it's like magnify. honey, I blew up the kid. It's that <laughs> type of Okay, blow. because when you said I'm blowing my life up, I imagine like TNT cartoon dynamite exploding it. That's how it felt for sure. But I, I do feel like it needed to, I needed some sort of like explosion in order for me to start rebuilding from the ground up with a better foundation that's more authentic to me. So like taking myself for an example of, uh, I do talk about social anxiety and depression and being an introvert and kind of awkward and weird and an artist. And so like, what? It's just that <laughs> you, you, you're, I mean, whatever, this is a whole other point. Your awkwardness is so in your head because it's like you aren't like, I know pure, I know awkward, awkward people. Yeah. You can like run a fucking dinner Stop party bragging, for hours on end. Brian. I know awkward people. Their name is Ross Everett. Well, that's this is what masking is. Right. But you, it's just like, I know you feel awkward, but like there are people I know who create objectively awkward scenarios. Sure. All the time. Sure. And you've, I've never seen you do that ever once. Unless you go, awkward! Like, and let, you make it happen if you need to. It's just interesting. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm not casting blame on you. I'm just saying like. Yes, you 
sure. I'm just saying like, you feel awkward. There are types of awkwardness that some people create where it's like, that person is awkward. Everyone's awkward now around them. They move through life. I think I can awkward. help you define it a little bit. Thank okay. goodness. Megan, I was going to say, Rodrigo, Megan, say it in a way that she could hear yeah. it. Brian <laughs> is banging his head against a concrete wall and Megan is putting up drywall in front of it. Okay, go on. I, I, I know. That's, <laughs> that, that's what it was like. Okay, ready, ready to, to barge yeah. in. Um, your awkwardness is extremely internalized. And, and it has to do with your internal processes and what you tell yourself and how you see the world and that unique, profound, weird way in which you understand everything around you. But on the outside, you are so like typically beautiful and smart and communicate in a very like efficient way, et cetera, et cetera, that it's hard to understand what's happening inside of you. Yeah. So how to, that's interesting. Cause if I ever talk about that online and people can relate to me, but they don't believe me. Is there a disconnect? Yes. Because people that experience what you're experiencing rarely look and act like you. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of, it's not that I do believe, I know you so well now that I'm like, you're, yeah, no, there's a lot of shit going on, but like, there's a lot of awkward people when they're like, I'm awkward. I'm like, I know I've, I've seen you. I've, I feel it. Like I understand exactly what's mm -hmm. happening. When you told me the first time I was like, stop lying. Yeah. Like it's really, it's, it looks so incongruous with how. I, I can give you an example of a very simple to understand example that really applies. One of the hardest things to teach um, coaches and therapists all over the world is that when someone is white, um, good looking, um, looks successful, looks upper class in Latin America, for example, we cannot, we cannot, like no matter what they tell us, we cannot believe them that they're shy. Mm. If they're quiet, they're judgmental. Because you do, do, do not get to be shy if you're someone that looks amazing, that, uh, that, that dresses up in a great way, that has the ability to run a business, then don't tell me that you're shy. Like that there's no way. I can only believe that people that look broken are shy and you do not look broken. We do not feel compassion for people that don't openly look like there's something wrong with them. So, so yeah. Megan, because we were on your podcast and a lot of people found out about biotypes through that podcast, we got this like really great influx of, of your audience coming to learn about themselves. Yay. So it's really cool. But what's so, but what's it even was cooler was we had like a hundred Megan Batoons. These people who were very polished, it's terrifying, but felt, <laughs> but felt so Megan awkward Con. or broken within themselves. Like even the way in which they spoke, like I could be like, "Oh, you found out about us through Megan Batune, didn't you?" And they're like, "Yeah, how'd you know?" And I'm just like, "I know." Like I, I know a Megan Batune fan that comes into our community and and like or takes a course with us because of what they deal with, mm. which is so yep. interesting. But the, mm. the really cool thing is to see them. I, like and a, and a nice handful of them have done BYB as well, and on the other side of their their BYB journey, it's been really incredible for them to own the way in which they're perceived. Mm. So it's like what Rodrigo said about like your awkwardness is is all living in here. It's like all imaginary, and if you had the gift to quiet that voice down. Like to, to kind of like what, 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 you know, some of my other teachers call mute the analyzer. Right. Then you would just be operating fully in the space of the, the freedom that people perceive you actually having. having. Okay. So what are my steps? How do I do it? <laughs> How do I become be high desert Houdini? 
<laughs> so let, let's so so here's here's the journey that we've we've driven through BYB and the good news is like uh, uh, you've already done some of the work because you and I met in like the in, in one of the programs that is literally like the first step of the work which is you know the understanding logically that events are neutral and that we've kind of created our own beliefs. So wait, I'm going to interrupt you really quick. Remember please. when we did the um, the exercise? Want? What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. So Ro had us sit next to each or in front of each other. And you picked me, Ross, because you were terrified they because I knew who you were. someone that – I don't know if the instruction was or if I gave myself the instruction. I don't know if you guys can explain all of this given your confidentiality yeah, yeah. agreement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I won't go into it, but no. I will say okay. when you were asking me, like, what do you want? Um, remember, I kept on saying, I want a break. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I actually don't remember that, but I, 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 I know that I'm glad that you do. But like uh, when I. That's why you, I'm in the desert. I'm getting my fucking yeah. break. Yeah. And also like, like my break was, um, I mean, during my break, I started a podcast and a business. But like I, I haven't touched Dale Thorhammer, the performative side of things mm. either for the past two and a half years. Like the pandemic was a, a marvelous time. Come at me, world. No, the, the pandemic was a terrible time. We all hated it. But like at the same time, it was a great opportunity for that break. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, back to like you're like what, what is going to help me fix this like the, the byb journey that we've seen and i don't want to call it fixing but like the seeing people have the breakthroughs that they need to have the freedom that you're looking for that kind of carry your same pattern was identifying first the 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 neutral event element um understanding that concept doing and and, and in byb we do a deep dive into the understanding of which parts of you are your biology and which parts of you are your personality and then once we can lock off the parts of you that are your personality you take certain risks that are that are like they feel dangerous even though someone with your opposite personality would just be like no this is just the way that i live so it, it's a, 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 an egoic danger. It feels like this is threatening yeah. to me because of so, – so we're having you take risks that, are, um, that feel dangerous because of your trauma but aren't actually dangerous, so they feel risky. Um, on the other side of that, pairing you with somebody that is operating naturally from the place that is your scary zone. Like, so like exposure therapy zone? with an extrovert. Uh, but, a little bit of but, that, yeah. It it is like a little bit of that, but it's catered specifically to every individual. Like we don't have a one size fits all for people with a specific problem. Like it's not like, oh, if you're an introvert, this is the way out. No, we actually go deeply into every little tiny thing, and then go like, okay, it sounds like this is the way out for you. It's and super when you see targeted. How scared they exactly. It's super targeted, and when you see their faces, it's actually their faces that tell us that the risk is right. Like we <gasps> look for it for hours. And hours of oh. exercise. Yeah, you can't hide that face. Yeah. You can't hide yeah. that. Like, oh god, you yeah. you hit it. You hit because it sometimes people get a risk and they're like, okay, yeah, okay, that's a good risk. And then Rodrigo comes into the small group and goes, mm, what about this risk? And they go, no, no, yeah, you know. Remember. And that's what we know. <laughs> wow. It's, it's it's the right one risk. thing I loved about yep. BYB is that like you know there'd be twenty people in the class, twenty five or whatever, and like you know, someone would say, talk about their life and they'd say something and then, you know, everyone would kind of like Rodrigo would be like, how's that sound everyone? And it's like the whole crowd can be like, that's bullshit. Like you can just tell. <laughs> and then like, if something hits you hard, it's like, there's no hiding from the fact that everyone is seeing, and I'm sure at MITT, like big group things are like that. But it's, I think it's what I like. If you're just one-on-one -on -one with someone, like a therapist, you can kind of hide with 
a whole group of people, you can't. You just can't when you're like, when everyone's looking at you. What I love about what we have in BYB is that I, I'm used to big groups of people, but the level of awareness that someone needs to go into BYB is different. And, and that's why a lot of people that have done all of transformation are now jumping into BYB. It's not a substitute. It's something different. And it's not, it's not aggressive. Um, like it's not rough in, in any way. It's just extremely deep. It's the way I like having conversations. You guys know me. And, and it's, uh, we don't need to be dramatic and we don't need to put on a show, but we'll go, we're going to be fucking real. And that's how BYB feels. Well, that's a great pitch. I'm in. You would love it. Well, I, I think, yeah, someone said Megan would love how BYB is organized. It sounds like something I would be into except for all the people. <laughs> what, so, so that's, that's your risk. Except that's, for the I human factor. But hold on, because I, I, I've thought about this because I've, I've thought about this when thinking about MITT and all these things because it's like anyone with a, a, like, like an, a public image. Yeah. It's like exponentially riskier. To go into a space. So my question for you is that I'm worried about me as Megan between the brand being amongst other people, or is it I'm worried about like the little girl Megan who's not famous at all being amongst the people? The first one. Okay. So so I think that like I want to figure something out. And I've been I've been racking my brain around this, where it's like, where's the safe space for people of of of, of high profile? to be able to get this sort of experience because it's so, it's the so Raya valuable. BYB. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is hysterical. It's kind of what? awesome. What was that? The, so Raya, Raya, yeah, tell them. Raya is like an um, exclusive dating profile that you can only get on if you are, I guess like in entertainment or some sort of high profile person. Yeah, yeah. You can also just nominate people now and they get on. So it's like, it's now become anyone can kind of just be a part of it if you know anyone someone on who it. has a friend who is someone. Yeah, but the idea <laughs> is you go on, it's like a dating app and there's just famous people on it. So it's like, it's kind of funny when like you come across like, oh, that's uh, a little dicky. There's a little dicky there. Um, He's single? Well, we matched a few years ago, but we didn't talk. <laughs> that tracks. That's you. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's one thing about, about what we're saying, Megan, which is, of course, we could say, oh, can we do it in the desert on our own, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we probably could. But the, the, the element of other human beings around us make it exponentially more important. What are you um, mostly scared of about these people? Because you've had a public podcast for many years and you're, you've done a lot of public things where you presented yourself. That's controlled though. Yeah, because exactly. it's uncontrolled. Like it's just two dozen people, you know, seeing you. What's the most scary thing about that for you? Uh, I, I guess it is like the me having an identity and I don't know. I, I, feel, I feel like a lot of pressure all the time just to live. <laughs> Like, I just feel like because of the way that I've put myself out there, right. I, you know, you Existing never know when you're... becomes challenging. Yeah, you never know when you're, like, people are going to be watching. Like, I never, yeah. I made a, a dance piece a couple of years ago um, that felt like I'm never off stage. It's like, I'm always on, I'm always being watched. I, I can never really have, like, alone time or be... I can't choose when I want to be seen, which is also why, like, I never do improv. I don't want to do stand-up. Like, I, I like doing video work because I can control it and I can edit it and I can make it. Mm. I can tell the story how I want. So when something is, that's why podcasting in the beginning was really terrifying because I didn't have a script. Right. So mm. yeah, it's I, I I guess it's scary to 
just put myself in situations where I don't know what's going to happen. Well, you're not controlling. I'll, I'll give you a little bomb for free. Ooh. The just first hit's free. <laughs> first hit's free. Oh, did the you say bomb? I'm getting addicted, bomb. though, man. <laughs> I, I said bump like cocaine. I said bomb. <laughs> bomb. First bump. I know. I was free. like, okay, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> okay, so I've been waiting for you to be in a space where this makes sense to you. Um, and we've had conversations in the past. And, and I know how much work you've done on yourself. But. I feel like a, a big chunk of your suffering has to do with you really wanting to create a way of living that's anti-sanguine. Anti-sanguine. Like, yeah, you, you literally want to thrive in the opposite way of what your biology enjoys, mm. which is crazy, especially with especially when you actually pay attention to the fact that most of your success comes from the times when your biology took over. Yeah. And when we go against our nature, we pay a really high price and there's no stability there. You're talking like mm. moving by yourself into the desert, things like that, which are... Which it is really like sanguine like suicide. anti-desert. I'm not anti-desert at all. I just miss you. I love the desert. But going back to, to anti-sanguine stuff, I am realizing... The, the more that I let go and embrace the messy and imperfect nature, that's what I'm working yes. on now, yes. is where it's, where it's good. When I stop planning and yes. when I just allow. Yes. It's scary though. But it's, I know, but, but it should be natural to you. It's like, it's like looking at a squirrel suffer because it's not a bird. And it's like, <laughs> there are so many amazing things about being a squirrel. What are you talking about? I would love to see a squirrel and be like, that squirrel's suffering because he's how do you even know like, he, like he's like he's fashioned some wings out of leaves and he's trying to jump off a tree <laughs> it's it's like the example that so many of my teachers would give me growing up like when when i was when i was learning biotypes they would tell me looking at a choleric that moved to tulum for us feels like being a doctor being being in tulum in the riviera maya in mexico and suddenly this polar bear showing up and saying Hey doc, like um, I, I moved away from my life because I wanted to be in the tropical place. This is my place. This is where I want to be in nature. But I have this terrible rash. Food is killing me. My stomach is dying, and this weather is going to like destroy me. Well, yeah, you're a polar bear. What the hell are you doing in the Mayan Riviera? Like right. this is not where you should be. This is not how you're going to thrive. Can can the the polar bear eventually adapt? I guess. Will will it be the best life possible? No. No. That's not his strength. So for all the sanguines listening, how do we thrive naturally with our biology? I can tell you one thing. If you don't embrace your messiness and your dumbness and your ability to be ridiculous in front of people, you will suffer. Especially because of one thing. You can't stop. You're a sanguine. You'll make a fool of yourself at least three times a week without even choosing to would like to do it. Like we, we don't do it on purpose. Like I, I have a lot of degrees in psychology and you have no idea the amount of times that I'm walking down the street and I say the stupidest thing or like fall down in the stupidest way because I wasn't paying attention. 
or or like fall from my motorcycle when I'm supposed to be an expert. And I literally like fell the other day in, in a toll booth as I just like stopped the motorcycle, dropped with the whole thing because I put my foot on oil and I wasn't paying attention. Sanguins do that. That's how we live. And if we don't embrace it, it starts it starts feeling like we will never achieve the level of peace and and focus that we that that i don't know like another species understands like maybe melancholics can live like that but not sanguines because your biology will make a mess like i'll i'll give you a terrible example but no one farts like sanguines no one it's our you biology said no, you no said i farts. said farts oh <laughs> You hear what you want, though. <laughs> or I guess for some people, maybe the same. But Actually, flirts, really flirts applies too. But mm-hmm. fart is a better example. No one farts like sanguines. Interesting. No one. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Like, we just we just fart. It's, it's, it's who we are. It has to do with our Your digestive system. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also why we can eat anything. Why can we eat anything? And why do we usually have an extremely strong digestive system? Because we can like ferment everything. And that creates a lot of gas. And that creates a lot of, a, a lot of farting. If you cannot make it a joke, and if, and, if, and if you're not comfortable being the imperfect person that farts every morning, then your biology will start paying, like playing tricks on you and putting you in situations that you cannot control. And as a sanguine, you'll just go into shame and think that something's wrong with you. That's the problem with being a sanguine and not embracing your messiness. Right. It's, um, it's so, when you're saying this, it's just so true that like it is naturally in you because like you are super silly and weird and get like really excited and physical and like have these big ideas for projects. And then you go like, I'm really awkward and I want to run away from society. And it's like, if you were melancholic and you, you felt that way, you would just go so into yourself. Like you would, yeah. like a melancholic who feels that awkward does not then explode you, out and have these like You would great, definitely not have a podcast and a show about it. Right. <laughs> right. I, it's, it is, it is funny because you just have like, I think that's why it's from a melancholic perspective when you first said the anxiety thing before I knew about biotypes, I was like, but that's not what this looks like. So this can't be it. But I'm realizing that's what it looks like for you. Yeah. I think all the, ex- the internal struggle, like mm-hmm. it, it just is a block that I haven't quite gotten through yet. And I've done yeah. so much work and I'm yeah. still not there, but I, I really feel like I'm getting pretty close. You seem way closer right now. Yeah. You cool. really do. Like the level of freedom, the level of freedom that you're operating in right now is something that I've never experienced from you before. Like what, is, how can you tell? The, the reason I'm giving myself so much permission to tell you things and go to different places is because of who you're being right now. The way you're sitting, the way you're talking and the reaction time between what we say and you coming back to us. Like you're missing those three seconds of let me think about my response to do this right. You don't have that right now. And it's the first time that I'm experiencing you like this, close and authentically together to, with us. Cool. Look at that. It's amazing. <laughs> you're growing. I love growing. Peter, you're learning. <laughs> I love growing. And at the same time, like one more thing that I want to say about this is your struggle is real, but your struggle is normal. You're just stuck in like step three of being sanguine. Right. Um, if you've heard me at any point talking about my life in the past, I'm weird. I felt rejected. Uh, I was the odd one out. Uh, I, I was too loud. I was too crazy. I, I wanted to try stupid things that other people didn't want to try. 
like teachers thought I was there was something wrong with me. Therapist, like at some point, when like maybe he's not okay. Why? Because I was a sanguine in the in the land when there are, where there are no sanguines, and it's even worse for you because in the states there's no sanguines. But then on top of that, there's no sanguine women. Like mm. it's almost impossible to find sanguine women in the states. Like you see one every I don't know five hundred people at this event that I was at. There were. <clears throat> sanguine con it was like, sanguine because con. <laughs> at the end i was like going around this table and i was like okay this guy next to me is sanguine this girl is sanguine this other girl is sanguine like like it was it was shocking like the amount of but doesn't that, it make yeah. doesn't it make total sense that in an odd scenario an odd situation about being alone and not being able to yes. date the most social biotype that is not accepted and understood in this country like in yours or mine actually gathers up to go like can you give me some fucking tools because this is not working and i'm a sanguine yeah and and i i, I overheard one of them saying like like oh like my mom said i'm too masculine or da, da, da. and i said i was in the middle of another conversation i said hold on i just have to go tell this girl that she's not wrong about herself yeah. so like I, I explained that she's sanguine and just like it shift like when sanguines understand that it's their biology it is the maybe the biggest shift yes. i say sanguines and phlegmatics hearing that is like a, yes. a holy shit um sanguine women i should say because they, they feel too big to whatever and there's this whole thing about i can't show how big or great i am because it's emasculating to men and i go just the wrong men for you um but it, it's been really interesting. There's there's one thing about sanguine women that, that has blown my mind lately. Because if I'm completely honest, I've learned this in the past few months. Because I've been exposed to a lot of sanguine women in different places. I was just in Spain a couple of weeks ago and had deep conversations with a couple of sanguine friends over there. And the more I meet sanguine women, the more I realize that they are as strong as a fire water or a false fire. Uh, which is crazy, without the emotional component. So without, and I'm not saying that they don't feel. What, what I'm saying is without the emotional reaction, they don't get offended. Uh, they just collapse into shame when things don't work, exactly the way I do, like us, us all sanguines do. But when society doesn't know enough sanguine women, then they're afraid of them. And they treat them like they're going to blow up at any given moment because they're too strong. And we're used to seeing women being strong and then blowing up if they're fire waters or false fires. So the world, if, if they're... If, like if, if a specific society has not been exposed to enough sanguine women, they're going to be afraid of them and they're going to treat them like there's something wrong with them. And, and those sanguine women will just collapse into their shame and think that they need to find their peace somewhere else. When as a sanguine, and this is to answer the original question, as a sanguine, our peace is in the middle of our mess. Mm. That's the only way we thrive. I'm like, where should I get that tattoo? Yeah. Well, <laughs> There's no place left. <laughs> let's both get it. Yes. God, it's so true. We, I mean, I'm just thinking about mm. sanguine women we know where it's like creates a lot of mess with a lot of, and people don't know how to handle it. And they get very, very upset with just the, how, how much destruction they can leave in their wake. And then yeah. that sanguine gets very, doesn't understand what they did or why it happened and doesn't know how to fix it. There is no moment, and, and Megan, correct me if I'm wrong in this, but there is no moment in a sanguine's life where we get 
overwhelming amount of certainty of what we want and where we're going that when the world is falling apart around us. Yeah. We never have the level of certainty of this is where I'm going and this is the way out than when the way world is falling apart. That's why we work beautifully under pressure. Right. Oh, like the, if there's things are falling apart, you're like, got it. Here's how I can exactly. fix some shit. But like if things are going fine, you're like... I can tell, I, I can bet money that Megan decided to just go to the desert with absolute certainty in the middle of something falling apart. 100%. There you go. Why is that? Because we're sanguine. We thrive in chaos. That's who mm. we are. Like, we ne we've never discussed it philosophically this way, but let's tackle it. Like, the melancholic sanguine axis, uh, I always say it as introverts and extroverts. But if we're, like, philosophically honest, it's actually order and chaos. It's melancholics love order and thrive in order. Sanguines thrive in chaos. Like, when do you see melancholics thriving? When a society is perfectly organized and there's safety, security, and, and you can assume that things are going to work, then melancholics start becoming philosophers, scientists, politicians, and they change the world. If they're safe, they need that order to be like that. When do sanguines thrive? In the middle of a war, when no one, like, no one knows what's going to happen, like, the institutions are falling, the, the family has no idea what to do, and suddenly the sanguine boy that no one thought of, or the sanguine teenager girl that no one ever paid attention to is the one leading the way and taking people home, like mm. becoming the goddess of social anxiety. Goddess of social <laughs> uh, Where are you going to get that one tattooed? Um, <laughs> you wow. became the leader of one of the most chaotic things in mental health that, right. that exists. And who do we follow in the middle of chaos? Sanguines. Right. Wow. And that's going back to the very, very beginning of like uh, becoming a different person than yes. you started with is that's kind of what I'm going through now, like this reinvention of, yeah, I do have social anxiety. I do deal with depression. I have all of these things and I'm healing and I'm not scared to lose whoever is not going to stay on my journey because I, the more that I can step into my authentic truth and share that and share my healing, I can help other people that are going through the same thing. And if they don't like me because they still have social anxiety and they don't want to do the work, then okay. But at least I'm showing up authentically and like maybe that's my purpose is to to be vocal about how I am helping myself. You got to fart run in, on public. <laughs> and fart more, yes. I, I just want to say like, you know, we said this thing at the beginning about when a person heals their trauma, their audience kind of leaves them. That's why I was like, saying. And you were like, yeah. well, that's is your, I think you said something like, that's not true, or is that totally true, or always true? Or I, I don't think that's always true. But I'm actually realizing because when we talked about this on your podcast, your audience was very receptive to this to the point where they registered to come learn about this and work on themselves. So yeah. even within your traumatic compatibility with your audience, it feels like your specific audience is just looking for the fucking answer. Yes. Like they, they want out of this hole that they put themselves in. So it, it's because I, I wouldn't think like a lot of people that are like, oh, I love my social anxiety and be like, hey, here's a way out. They'd be like, nah, I'll stay right. here. But like your audience takes the ladder out, which was was really interesting now that I'm kind of like reflecting on that earlier part of the conversation. So, yeah, I feel like even though the, you know, mental sensations are still happening like the the underlying vibe that I have is always trying to grow or always trying to heal or always trying to improve something I mean like mm -hmm. from home improvement to self-improvement like I'm doing it all <laughs> you know yeah 
From the Tim Allen sitcom Home Improvement <laughs> to building a house. And that's what you do because you're a sanguins and sanguins need to be doing something. If not, we feel like we're wasting our lives. Yup. So I want to open something that's a whole topic and I, I wanted to pick up on what Megan was saying because we're opening this too. Lately, this distinction has become ridiculously important for the people around me and for most of the, pe the people that I've been working with for the past few weeks. And it's the true understanding between honesty and authenticity. And Megan was talking about being my authentic self. And I totally agree. The thing is, I don't believe most people understand what that is. And we give people, especially in MITT, for example, we, we give people like a very specific distinction of what is honesty and what is authenticity. But I feel like if, if someone's an avid listener of our podcast, they have enough tools in their toolkit uh, to actually understand a deep conversation about this. Do you, want, do you guys want to go there? Yes. Let's do it. Yes. Okay, now, first tell me, what's the, what's the difference between being honest and authentic? Well, we always ask it this way. We always tell people, can I be honest without being authentic? Yes. Can yes. I be authentic without being honest? No. Wait, I don't know about the other way. But I know you can be honest without being authentic because I've dealt with this. We've talked about this before. We talked about it in the Natalie Palomides episode too. Yes, we did. Yes, um, we did. But I, I want us to go really deep, like for real in this one. Because I, I definitely feel like that's something I struggle with is I'm really, really good at being honest. Like I can have a very vulnerable, honest conversation about myself and people go, wow, look at that Brian. He's so authentic. And really it's a bit of a mask because I know how to yeah, speak in a way authentic. where people can like – just go like, well, there's, he was super open and there, he didn't right. lie at all and all that stuff, but I can still hide that's my- That's controlled honesty. Yes, that's what I got real good at. So you can definitely be honest yeah. without being authentic. Can you be authentic without being honest? I don't know, can you? I'm not sure about that one. I don't think you can. Like, I don't really? think so either, right? Like it's like a circle in a, in, or it's like a triangle, it's like a rectangle in a square, right? A square ha is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not necessarily a square. Exactly. The rectangle is being- uh, uh, honest and being honest is a part of being it. authentic but being authentic <laughs> is larger than being honest yeah yes. there you go you get it i was and, i was i was thinking yeah. in my mind like somebody how are you i'm fine you know where it's like their tone is betraying their authenticity but their words are dishonest but yes we, but, we can, it's semantics let's oh, throw I it see, out scrap it from the record let's move forward no no it's, no that's it's a good example <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll go back to it but first let's start defining it like this for most, for most people at the beginning, what we tell them to create a basic understanding of this is honesty is your ability to have no filter and no editing between how things happen in your head and what comes out of your mouth. That's honesty. When people say it, it's saying the truth, what the hell is the truth? And now we need to have a philosophical conversation about that. No, it's being honest is there's no filter and no editing between how things happen in my head and how they come out of my mouth. That's honesty. Now, What's authenticity? We usually tell people for a basic understanding that authenticity is showing who you are and, and that your emotions and your way of being is actually poured out and into the world and people can experience it. That is true, but it's not all of the truth. Like authenticity requires honesty, yes. Authenticity requires understanding of your emotions, yes. But authenticity requires awareness personal responsibility and your ability to communicate what you, what you know about yourself. Exhausting. Honest. Yes. <laughs> you said it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's so much to know about yourself. It's not exhausting. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. Okay. It sounds liberating. It is. It is. It's the, the difference is this. 
I feel like honesty is destroying the world today. Um, because when people are honest, they're just honestly complaining to the world uh, about why they feel the way they feel and what the world should do in order to make them feel better. Because they have no awareness of who they are, why they experience what they experience, and what's the blueprint of the identity that they built. If you're authentic, you're giving people tools constantly to work with you, understand you, and know why you're reacting the way you are and how it's not about them. It's always about you. It's that, like, if I'm honest uh, and I'm driving in my car with my wife and my, my brain, because I'm not authentic and I have not done work on myself, and suddenly my ego in my brain starts telling me something like, I don't think she loves you anymore. I don't think she wants to be with you anymore. If I am only honest, I'm going to look at her and say, do you really want to be with me? Are you sure that you want to be in this relationship? Because I don't feel any certainty. Like, I don't feel confident and secure within this relationship. Thinking that there's something she needs to do for me to actually feel some certainty about this relationship working. This is literally what's wrong with the world today. And then if you tell that person, hey, but that's not true or that's not real, that person is just going to say, I authentically feel this. So I can, I have permission to say this and express myself against the world that's making me feel a certain way. Yeah, tell your truth. Exactly. The, the famous tell your truth. We're teaching people how to be honest without actually doing the work so that they can become authentic. And the difference is this. If I'm driving and I'm just honest, I'm going to tell my wife, give me certainty. Tell me that you're in this relationship. And no matter what she does or what she tells me, it won't work. It'll just be an aspirin for my ego. It'll last a couple of hours before my insecurity just kicks in again. Right. If I'm aspirin a, for your ego is such a great, I'm going to fucking yeah. take that phrase. I love that. Oh, it's, it's so fucking true. And um, if I'm authentic, there is a process to being authentic. This is how we built BYB. And, and the process of being authentic has to do with, first, as Ross was explaining, events are neutral. Nothing outside of me means anything until I respond. Okay. And those of you that, that are hearing that for the first time saying, what the fuck, I promise you it's nuanced. So, so <laughs> let go of that argument for just a second. If you want to know yeah. more, come do BYB. But, but and anyway, at the same time, yeah. And at the same time, we're not fundamental about it. We know it's a philosophical viewpoint. Um, now, Events are neutral. Nothing outside of me can make me feel anything. Then why do I feel certain things? Because I'm not making this up. Like I do feel like this. Well, if it doesn't come from outside, I guess it comes from inside. Let's start digging. I need to know my beliefs. I need to understand how I built my identity, my personality. I need to know what's running my life. I need to know what makes me tick to a point in which I can authentically explain the human experience being me. And if I am that human being and I am authentic, then I'm driving with my wife. And instead of saying, I don't feel confident, you like tell me that you really want to be in, in, in this, I would literally look at her. And this is the type of risks that we teach people how to take in life. Uh, I would probably look at her and go like, baby, I know this is just a, like a little trick that my mind plays on me, but I constantly start feeling insecure about certain things. And you're so amazing. And I love you so much that of course my ego thinks that I don't deserve you. And that sooner or later, um, you're leaving me. Um, and I just wanted to know that I'm working on it because I love you. And, and I just want to stay, stay in this relationship thriving with you. And if there's anything you want to throw my way, I'm, I'm here for you. Um, 
But then I'm giving her the blueprint. I'm explaining like, this is my trauma. This is how I'm feeling. I know it's my deal. I know it only has to do with me. I know that I, I'm not able to receive certain things that you probably wanted to give me in the past two days because I've been going around in this process inside of me. And vulnerability, which is step number three, is when you actually give someone uh, uncontrolled access to your authenticity. Is when someone... Exactly. Like what, what I mean by that is someone that can always address things that are important about you, talk about your blueprint, be there for you, and also demand the best of you. Is it scary? Yes, it is. But it's the only way to actually connect with someone and not allow your ego to think that they don't really know you and therefore they don't really love you. Because only when you know all of my, my darkness and you stay can I unconditionally feel loved. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a pretty huge philosophical point. I think I've had conversations before where it's like, we need to get honest with each other and we're yeah. not getting authentic. We're getting honest with like, I'm going to tell you some things about how I feel about the things you've done. And mm. I'm going to tell you kind of what I've learned into how I've intellectualized it. And I'm, again, I'm telling you the truth, but I'm not really, I'm going one layer deep instead of to the core of the earth. Now let's define that because you just opened something that's extremely important, which is this. If, if, I, am, if I am only honest, what, I'm, what I will end up doing is just communicating how my brain justified the way I feel. So it just becomes, okay, I've, like if I'm completely honest with you, I've been feeling like this because you did that and she did that and he did that and I felt like this and no one noticed and no one blah, blah, blah. I'm not really giving you my authenticity of this is how I work and this is how I react. I'm giving you the intellectual explanation and justification that I gave myself about how the world is causing this on me and this is how honesty has become a problem because people feel like, they get to be honest about how they justify their lives in their heads and make that a mission. And that, that doesn't serve anyone. That's why when people are just honest like that, they just fight and nothing evolves in the relationship because they just blame each other. Mm. Yeah. And I guess if you're a person who didn't, cause it's like, it takes a, a modicum of vulnerability to do that, to be like, okay, yeah. it hurt me. Cause and if you've never had that before, if you've broken through to become a little bit vulnerable in your head, you're like, well, that's it. Then I guess I've reached what vulnerability is. It's this, Yeah. but then you don't, it's like, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's like when you, you know, go to therapy for two sessions and you're like, I'm cured. Cause you've never done anything before. So going two times feels like you've had these major breakthroughs and it's like, no, man, you got to go for decades before anything yeah. kind of happens. But it's like that with vulnerability where it's like if you've never been vulnerable and then you can kind of learn how to be honest a little bit, right. you feel like you're doing everything. You feel like you're going as deep as you can go. You don't even yeah. know. You don't even know how deep this goes, buddy. You have no idea. It never ends. And at the, at the same time, um, the, like the final thing that I wanted to say to, about this, because you guys are all artists in here, um, is what is a certificate of authenticity in the arts? The certificate of authenticity. Mm -hmm. Like what someone gives you when you know you've been authentic? No, it's when an expert that knows exactly what this is and goes through every layer uh, that to prove that it is exactly what I'm telling you it is, tells you I've been through it. I can, I can tell you why it's authentic. I know where it comes from. I know how it works. I know how it was done. And therefore, this is authentic. 
Oh, interesting. Yes. Isn't exactly yes. that what we get to do with ourselves in order to present ourselves in an authentic way with someone else going like, this is who I really am. This is how I built myself. This is how the whole journey has worked. And therefore, this is my authentic self. <laughs> <laughs> Megan's laughing. Uh, <laughs> she thought it was so funny what you just said. No, um, that, uh, that, wow. I think we're all just sort of, I, I'm honestly like it. yoked to be authentic. <laughs> like to have that. That's got another tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> to have that, the definition of honesty and authenticity is really helpful because, uh, yeah, I feel like when I started to be a little bit more vulnerable on camera or talk about whatever my struggles were, I think it was the beginning of, it was the opening of authenticity. Yeah, right. And yeah. now that I'm starting to learn so much more about myself, I, I can start stepping more into what's actually authentic and not just like being open about my mental struggles, you know? Yeah. The only problem with that is the more authentic human beings become, the less acknowledgement and the less drive for success they have. Yeah. Good. Yes, good. I am feeling that. I'm feeling more flow and less force. But I feel like the more drive you have just to do creative, passionate things, no matter what happens, like that will happen, I feel like. Exactly. And then like hopefully success then comes because you did something so amazing. But Or not. But, or not, but, but then, you won't but care. But success just seems like something completely different. Like I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, my, my wife's aunt. Um, I, I don't know if I have permission to talk about this, but I do not care. Uh, my ah. wife's aunt is called, <laughs> they're not you my have, patients. You've so. always said everything is like, they, actually, they gave me permission to talk about this. You said that a thousand times at this point. <laughs> and then they're my now this happens. <laughs> this is my political family. I don't care. And I'm going to say ah. something good about them. But, um, <laughs> so and I'm pretty sure they don't listen to this, but, um, Patty, uh, is my, my wife's aunt. I think she has a double PhD in Germany in like physics and things like that. And she still teaches in college. Uh, she, she has two kids. Um, both of them live in Europe now. Uh, she lives in Monterrey, Mexico. But this woman's brilliant, like brilliant, like a certified genius. Uh, she has the degrees to prove it. And she just understood what her calling is in life. And her calling is health. And she did not become a health coach. And she is not on social media trying to prove anything to anyone. She is just probably one of the most amazing people that I've ever met in explaining why your body does what it does and how it works. To the point that some of the tips that, that people from our, the, like the labs at Stanford have given me are things that she already knew. Uh, like some things that seem to be breakthroughs in different places, she already knows. And if you don't ask her, she won't tell you. She's not pushing this information on other people, but she's always researching. And if someone asks for support, she'll get you the best medicine. She'll get you the best supplements. She'll explain exactly what's going on. She she knows bioresonance, which is something that we do with the knees too. Um, like the two people in the world that I know that are experts in this and actually have the machines are like Patty that doesn't do this for a living. Uh, living and Denise that has been training for this for like half of her life. So what I'm saying is this, when people become completely authentic, they become monsters in the things that they love and then they just keep it under control. Uh, it's like, if you ask me, I'll tell you everything, but if you don't, I'm just comfortable in this life being who I am. That's so cool. That's yes, my vision is. board. She's yoked. Yes, it is. <laughs> yoked. <laughs>
You know what I was thinking in terms of like a way to define like being honest versus being authentic? I feel like being honest is like, someone's like, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, um, I've had a really rough month. Uh, it's been, you know, it's been ups and downs. I'm, I'm working on it though. Uh, I've, I've been in therapy. I think I sort of see where I'm going with it. But yeah, it's been tough. Uh, I think that's being honest. Being authentic is someone being like, hey, how you doing? And you're just bursting into tears and hugging them for like 10 minutes. Like that's, you know what I'm saying? Like there's <laughs> yeah. two different ways. Come to Papa. That's my sweet spot. I'm I'll, like, I'll give you, <laughs> I I'll love give you a better people do that. I'll, yeah, that's the process world. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll give you a better example for for people to understand. I feel like you're on the right track, but I'm I'm afraid of people listening and and getting confused. Okay. So I feel like if I walk up to you in the park and I go like, "Hey, Brian, how's it how's it going?" and you're honest, um, this I mean, this is not you at all, but let's <laughs> imagine like fictitious character number one, uh, and I go like, "Hey, what's up?" and and this person goes like, "I'm just tired of people asking what's up. Like, why do I need to perform for everyone asking me how I feel? Like, I already go to therapy. I'm already working on myself. Why why don't you start talking about your day instead of asking me how I am doing? Like, don't 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 like put this things on other people. Blah blah blah. That would be honest. And this person is probably going to therapy and just talk to their therapist about this and about hating people asking them how they're doing." That would be honest. If this person were completely authentic, then as you walk up to them and go like, how are you doing? This person would probably say, I was about to blow up at you and say that I'm tired of people asking me shit because that's what I do. Like I've been real, it's a layer underneath the honesty. So it would be like, I can see the part of me that wanted to just be honest and make it about you and and, and tell you blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the truth is that I really like spending time with you and I'm not going to use this space to bring my egoic bullshit, blah, blah, blah. But I'm still working on it. Like I'm, I'm getting there. So when you see me complaining about the world, just remind me that we have an amazing life because I actually like this Mm. that's authenticity yeah great huh (laughs) are you not like inspired to be authentic now after this I feel like this is like a pep talk yeah no I I am he's not sanguine it's a pep talk for it's a pep talk for us yeah it's a pep talk for people that thrive in chaos yes yes I mean, I, 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 when I keep hearing you tell a saying when like, you, you got to just sort of get out there and be messy and like, you know, find your chaos. I'm like, I wish that was my, that's what you were telling me. Cause I feel like that's not my journey right now. It's like people but, are like, but the only reason you want to hear that is because you already have the personality of a sanguine. So know, those risks are it. not risks for you. That's the way you live. Like, dude, we never know where you are. How, how I am know. I going to give you a risk? Like, Hey, go be, go crazy. Like go be crazy in the wow. world. Dude, Brian two episodes ago you were in reference. Scotland. Uh, the last ep- the, the last episode you were in London and now you're somewhere in the desert. No, no, I, we're in LA, but I mean, we're pretty much in the, we're in the desert of, of your mind and your <laughs> projects right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like my thing is people are like, you need to start making schedules and clean your room. And I'm like, no, I can't, I hate that. I That's hate exactly it. how it feels for sanguines that are not comfortable being sanguine. Of course, Ross would love it if all of the risks were about being phlegmatic and healing the world. Like, <laughs> Ross, your risk is to convince, like you're going to stand in a park and convince people that they should do compost and save the world. He's going to go like, fuck yeah, already on it. Right. <laughs> it's a stretch. That's your stretch. Exactly. Yeah. Brian would be a good reference for Megan. A reference? Yeah. yeah. They both like, would so, be. So in... in in BYB, like part of the process is like we we pair you up with somebody who has, you know, who's in the space that you're afraid of, right? Like out of your comfort zone. 
And you basically, you know, through exercises and whatnot, are using them to reference the areas that you get to grow into because it's their point A. Your point B is their point A. So right, I see. you two are very like if, if Megan, if you're like, I want to know what the, the sanguine thing to do in this situation is, ironically, you'd call your melancholic friend Brian and say, right. Brian, not what should I do, but if you were in this situation, what would you, what would you do? Oh, no. my God. Just thinking about how you lived the last month of your life, like I would be dead. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> you would not be. <laughs> I would die. I would actually croak. You think you couldn't handle it physically well, or? No, because she, she'd burn out mentally because those yeah. gears are still running internally and you don't run like the thought patterns that she runs. If she were to be in that surrender flow state that she was talking about, she would actually love it and feel freer than she's ever felt before. Yes. What sounds exhausting to you about that? Because look, I look at you building your house in the desert and I'm like, this, I couldn't, th- that's exhausting. I would croak doing that. All I'm doing is just like having fun and performing for an hour a night well yeah all but right I, brian builds a house megan goes to edinburgh okay oh god <laughs> that would be hilarious that we reaction switch lives. that you just had there right there megan that's what that's we what see in byb when yeah. we give a good no risk. dude never <laughs> you're supposed to be yoked <laughs> that would be the yeah if i ever get on stage without a script and like if it's an improv show or stand up or even if there's a, a script if i have to i stopped performing because of social anxiety so, like, if I did that for a month straight and then partied like a college kid afterwards, I would not be alive. Yeah, I mean, there's so many shows you show up and you're like, what do you want me to do? I don't even know what this show is. There's 400 people out there. What do you want? And then you go and just do it. Damn. And you like that? Love it. What do you mean do I like? It's amazing. It's the most <laughs> freeing feeling in the world. Okay. You, I, you, Meg- don't, you don't like that. No. I think you would, Meg- the problem with what you just said, that you would be dead if you lived like that, is that that's not true. Your <gasps> body is built for that way more than Brian's. Yeah. Your body can withstand that level of abuse, no problems, unless you start overthinking about it and getting anxious about how to do stuff. Mm. That's what breaks us down. Like, okay, I'm going to use a crazy analogy, but what breaks bones is not the fall. It's the resistance against the fall. We know this and like even in sports psychology, something that we teach, like we, when people do risky things like gymnastics, like when, when they're skiers, uh, we teach them how to fall and relax the mind on the body because what breaks the bone is not the fall, but the resistance of the muscle being afraid of the fall. Mm. That, that like that two point pressure is what breaks because if you just, if you've ever seen like professional skiers coming off, a, uh, coming off a mountain and you see them fall, they look like they're dead. They look like ragdolls. They just yes. twist and turn and then they just stand and they, they, they don't break anything. That uh, they I mean, they tore everything. And I'm not saying that they're perfectly fine, but their recovery is going to be a couple of weeks. It's not going to be six months. Right. Because it is your fear towards the punch that destroys you. That's exactly the same thing about our intellect and our ability to take risks. Your body can withstand a ridiculous amount of suffering and pain and not a lot of like food and sleep because you're a sanguine. That's how we work. We can abuse our bodies in a crazy way. What destroys us is not 
our body and the abuse, but our mind resisting every possibility in front of us, that's what breaks the bone in our body. And that's what breaks us emotionally when we're like about to take a risk. That is so interesting because I definitely had to switch my mindset when I got there because I was like, this is a crazy place. I'm going to be out all night. I'm going to live in a way I shouldn't live. And like, if I have a wild weekend, I'm like, oh, I feel it. I'd like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Whatever. I'm, I need to be an adult. I basically early on was like, I'm okay with this. This is my life mm-hmm. right now. I'm not going to shame myself for it. I'm going to do it. I am healthy. This is not a bad thing for me. And I was, I was great the whole month. And then I came home and just sort of let myself fall apart. But because I put this, like, I didn't let myself have any mental resistance of that this is not okay or that I, or that I'm tired or that I'm sick or anything. And because of that, I just, I didn't get sick. You surrendered. It, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. It was weird. I was, I felt more uh, alive than I have. And I was living like a, a, a teenage mutant ninja turtle. So it was crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> they are my favorite. Yes. <laughs> They're beautiful. Yes, they are. But anyway, I don't know. I turned off my resistance in my brain. So I had exactly. to. And the thing is, as a melancholic, the fact that you know how to do that is mind-blowing, my friend. Like the amount of melancholics that would give their right arm to have that ability is crazy. And I am including Megan in that group of melancholics, even though she's a <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, the crazy thing is sanguines usually live like that in automatic mode. Um, like I just spent a month that was almost three weeks in LA, three workshops, uh, a lot of little things in the middle. Then I flew to Spain. I did workshops at 4 a.m. over there while I was like signing my citizenship in front of the king and, and blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then I flew back to Mexico to keep working over here. I know it's crazy, but, uh, and then I flew back to Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. And up, and th- up until that point, I was like, okay, I think that was too much. Uh, maybe I need yes. to stop a little bit. But as a sanguine, I just kept pushing through like for a month, traveling like crazy, doing stuff here and there. Before that, I was in Merida, et cetera, et cetera. But if I were always thinking, will this be will this be okay for my spine? Like my back is hurting. I'm not really, really eating very well. Are my relationships okay? Is everything okay with my wife right now? Am I being a good dad? I'm spending so much time away from Santi this month. Is this okay? Blah, blah, blah. That would kill me. That would, that would break my emotional bones and not allow me to take the risk. It, it, would, it would incapacitate. God, this is so, this opens a bigger thing, which is like, I was thinking about this a lot. I loved school as a kid. I loved it I, more than anyone I know. And I loved being a kid because, you know, your life was set up for you. You go to school, you do these classes, you do these after school activities, you get good grades, you're good. And because of that, because I just felt like, I just had this background noise of everything you're doing is okay. There was no resist. Everything felt right. As an adult, there have been times where I'm like, it doesn't matter what I do, where I've been like, I don't know if what I'm doing, I just have emotional resistance towards everything and it breaks me, which is why Edinburgh, I gave myself permission saying, what you're doing here is where you need to be right now. And once I, I believed that, I could do no wrong and nothing felt bad. But like, I don't have that a lot of the time. So it's nice to have places. And as a kid, it's just given to you, which is nice. That was authentic, Brian. Like this whole rant that you just had, that was authentic. That was you giving us like a little sneak peek into the experience of being Brian and how you build yourself and how you decide certain things without blaming anything or anyone, just showing us who you are. And that's the part of you that we can love and protect. Now, everything else. I know. Everything else destroyed and start over. No, the other thing that I I wanted to say is this. 
Um, this is what I meant when I told you that melancholics thrive in order and sanguines thrive in chaos. School is absolute order, and that gives you all the certainty in the world about what you're doing and that what, that what you're doing is right. This is the right path. Sanguines usually hate that type of structure. We, like, we feel like we're dying inside in the middle of it. We need lack of structure that creates creativity where we go crazy, become messy, and then love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because as, as much as I was like, this month was chaos, there was an order to the shows, the what you did there, how you got reviews, the trajectory of the whole uh, festival. Mm-hmm. There was a complete order to that. And because I felt so secure in that, I was like, now let's, I can be chaos and I know I can go right back every day to what I need to do there, which yeah. was great. Yeah. You live life like a responsible sanguine, Brian. I, what? <laughs> I live like a responsible sanguine? You live life like a responsible sanguine man. That's like a little bit unreliable. Uh, you never really know where they are and what they're going to do. But at the end of the day, they always pull through. Yeah. All right. Good. So I'm I'm healed. I'm cured. I'm, yeah, that's balanced, what I'm is what I'm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if your brain wasn't her body, that person would be healed. Yes. You're, I'm a healed you. Okay, bonk. <laughs> I've got to go build a house in the desert. For I am some happy reason. about build a house. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was so sanguine you just did. That was so yes. sanguine. Yes. And I was like, by the way, Megan, like, if we were in clown class, it'd be like, we love you. Like that's, that's kind of how oh my God, clown respond, class right? would be perfect for you. It would be being that person would destroy. They would love it. That like yeah. weird, the person who's bonked my head. <laughs> that's like who you, I see you as most of the time. Honestly, yeah. like that's not. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's just like the, um, I, I know. I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, do I have permission to share this, the things that you told me? So I'm, I'm going to see if I could frame it in a way that's not, it's, it's nothing bad. But like, I, I know you, I know that you love comedy. This is what I'm going to say. Yes. And you, and, and you're so funny. And the ways in which like, that's like, that was so funny what you just did. And it involved zero thought. Right. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Be, what yeah. I was saying earlier is like allowing myself to just be and not scripting everything and just yes. just releasing and letting go. Like that's where the good, that's where the fucking juice is. And you being able to listen to what Ross just told you and not going into shame because you don't know how it happened and just going like, yes, I'm, I'm working towards that. And this is exciting. That's a sanguine response. That's, that's really good news. I feel like we're all healing together. <laughs> I mean, isn't that I always, just yeah, the, the purpose of being here, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, always, I always think that I love that we have patrons. I love them with every fiber of my being. I love that we have listeners. But honestly, the people that get the most benefit out of this, it's us. 100%. <laughs> Welcome back, Brian. Thanks. Good to be yeah. here, guys. Yeah. I can't believe I... Marbles. Uh, yeah, it's very weird to be back. I feel like I was gone for a thousand years and now it feels like a blip when I think about it. It's so it weird. It feels like you were gone for a thousand years. Mm, that makes me feel good. <laughs> my absence feels that way. Yeah, I was going to ask about my, Mickey. What's going on? Even my Mickey misses you. I have a two-year-old son. That's what happened. I was with him before this and I had to take all the stickers out of my head. And, my two? and I <laughs> suddenly realized two. this one. I cannot believe that. He's almost two. It's crazy. It's crazy. He is, he is so big, so big <laughs> and so smart and so 
being a dad has changed my life completely. Um, like, I've, Ross has seen me in this whole journey and my whole peyote and ayahuasca thing and, and everything that I've realized about myself and how I built myself as a human being, my authenticity about I can take the pain of, of, like, of ever anyone and I can live life like this, but not if I have a son, like not anymore. Like the, the, all of that is very, very new. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy in awe and excited. Like today I'm going to start a parenting workshop and I'm really good at teaching that, but the um, like the, the amount of change that I've done to the way I deliver information about children because I've known this for years but the um, like the way I explain it now it's it completely changed because I had all this information in my head but once you have the baby in front of you none of the information applies so I feel like now I can portray it in a way better like way yeah <laughs> it's been weird but I'm happy with this life yeah it's amazing yeah, I I think about that a lot. All, all my friends are having kids, and it's like the big thing I hear is it's hard in a way that you don't oh. even understand. What? That's not what he looked like a year ago. That's crazy. No, that's that's him like two days ago. Yeah, I know, but it's like wow. as I get older, I start understanding how it's like. Remember when you were a kid and you'd like see your parents' friends? They'd be like, "Oh my god, wait, yeah. what? You've grown? <laughs> what the hell?" And you realize, as a kid, you're like, "Shut up, like take it easy." But now, as an adult, I see my friends' kids, and I'm like, "Huh." Look at you. That's not a baby. He was a baby yesterday. I don't like this. See, he's betraying. See, it's betraying my relationship with him. He told me he was a baby, and now I see someone different, and I can't deal with this anymore. There is no growth without betrayal. Yes. Still think he's sanguine? Oh, he is so sanguine. Like, it's not even funny. He is so sanguine. And he's also going through the sanguine stage of life. Like at that stage is where everybody acts and looks a little bit sanguine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can, at two, you can just totally be sanguine. Just bang. I mean, your arms are shorter. Shit, like, your legs yeah. are shorter. Your torso is a little bit longer. Like you're massive. And, uh, and at the same time, you're reckless and you just want to touch everything and feel everything and textures and colors and tastes and everything. Like you just want to experience life. That's a, I'm like, look am at I the two years like, old? Yeah, yeah. I've been telling you. <laughs> so yeah, Megan, we're, we're still two. <laughs> I love that. Young forever. Me too. I want to be two. <laughs> be I, I feel that from you. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, baby. We're, we're not going to have a patron wall in this one, right? I feel, there was no spot to really put it in, so it's no. just... Oh, Rodrigo's little buddies. Yeah. I am so happy that, that, that Megan showed up and that you're here, Marbles. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Well, guys, did we do it? Do we have I a great we episode? I think this is it. Um, I want to just tell people that we talked a lot about BYB in this episode. If you're like, oh, I want to do it, you can. Um, it starts November... <laughs> I pulled up the dates and then I put the thing in front of it. November 2nd, six weeks. Um, this one is going to have like a, a, a gap week just because there's a, a scheduling conflict, but we're going to kind of implement something cool within that gap week for, for people yeah. to. And Brian is showing off his new shoes that look like Ninja Turtles. No, his shoes looks like he beat up a leprechaun and stole the, stole them from the leprechaun. I got it handmade in Belgium, so a little bit. You did? Oh, yeah. Wow. That is so cool. Oh, yeah. Did they measure your foot and everything? No, he already had a bunch of handmade shoes, and we found one that wow. fit. Wow. And I love it so much. 
to answer some of these questions that are showing up in the chat uh, that aren't about Brian Shoes, I apologize. So they say, how long is BYB? Uh, it's six weeks, uh, although this next one will be seven weeks with a week off. Uh, so, so meaning that it, it, the full duration will be seven weeks. Um, but you meet once a week. Uh, and it's on Wednesday, Wednesday nights. More information at rgpdevelopment.com slash BYB for anyone that is like, well, what's going on there? So uh, we've got all that out there, and we are going to be doing an in-person event in Los Angeles yes, we on are. October 22nd. Uh, My part of that? Yes. So, so we're still putting together. Well, no, we're we're putting together what it is. So I'm just kind of getting people prepped because the the idea is to to theoretically do a biotypes live that includes a live recording of biotypical, um, and maybe some other performances and and components to that as well. So maybe just, some Brian show, maybe some Brian comedy, maybe some of this, uh, you know, uh, stuff that you've been working on, you know. Not putting you on the spot or anything. We'll like that. see. We'll see. <laughs> you guys are getting a little bit too much of a look inside the uh, in, inside the, the melting pot of what, what we're building up here. But I will say, Saturday, October twenty second, somewhere in the Southern California, Los Angeles area. We don't have the the venue set just yet, but keep your eyes peeled, uh, and we'll be talking about it more in the weeks to come as well. So, block the date. Start getting your your. We should probably just open up a wait list. I'll figure out how to do that. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. BYB, November 2nd, Biotypes Live, uh, October 22nd. And Rodrigo's about to take a pill of ecstasy. What's this thing? Are you just like waiting to pop the tab of LSD? It's it's an icebreaker. Oh, okay. I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Sometimes they put LSD on, on Altoids, so, you know, not too far off. <laughs> um, thanks to our patrons. You guys friggin' rock uh, for full episodes. We love you guys. Of biotypical go to patreon.com slash rgp development we love you and we'll see you next week say goodbye megan bye, bye. we love you megan thank you so much for coming and brian thank do your you. new catchphrase my life has changed she's yoked she's yoked i see it she's yoked <laughs> brian do your new french sound honk 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 good night <laughs>